Welcome to HSBC Talks Business, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening. And now on to today's show. Welcome to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, a podcast mini-series that seeks to empower and support women who are on the journey of growing and scaling their business. We'll speak with inspiring women about their stories and get practical advice from entrepreneurs who've been there before. This podcast has been created in partnership with Albright. Thank you for joining us. Hi, everyone, and welcome. My name is Eugenia Prattley, and I'm from HSBC. And I'm really, really, really thrilled today to kick off this brand new series in partnership with Albright with an absolutely phenomenal entrepreneur, Freddie Harrell, the founder of Radswan. Freddie, welcome. (laughs) Thank you for having me. The pleasure is completely all ours. We are super delighted. So today's session is um, featuring Freddie, our fantastic guest of the hour, and her business, Radswan. Radswan um, is a hair accessory uh, company Freddie was actually born in Paris, but founded the company and had a very interesting origin in the company because she founded it across multiple markets from the very beginning. It's an international company from its from its origins, which in itself is a phenomenal challenge to be able to, to tackle. So I just want to kick off with really the first question, which is, Freddie, can you tell us a little bit more about Rad Swan and how it came to be and where the idea came from and, and how did you get started? <laughs> yeah, of course. So quick background. You know, I had a lot of different careers. I started actually like in banking. I graduated with a master's in finance. (laughs) I used to work in um, hedge funds a long time ago. So, you know, (laughs) um, I know the bank world. But um, after that, so I uh, went back to school and I studied e-business. It was in 2010, so a long time ago, but at the beginning of Web 2.0 you know, when social media was starting and e-commerce and I was so excited uh, to join this. So that, that's how I got into digital. Um, through that, I also moved to London and I started working in agency side and then um, eventually moved client side. Also accident, uh, it was very accidental. I worked for um, ASOS first and then a lot of like fashion brands. Uh, I've always loved fashion, but I was very accidental to like end up doing digital marketing for those big players. And it was when I was working for those companies that I realized that, you know, wanted to change career again. I hadn't been enough of digital marketing and um, it was the very um, analytic based and I felt like there was not enough creativity in what I was doing. And I had access to a lot of clothes. So I started a blog (laughs) and it was just kind of like an online uh, like diary. And it was just kind of me uh, like exploring the different characters I'm made of. I love to say that I'm a shapeshifter. I'm made of of, lots of different people. And so everyone is. And uh, it was exploration of that. And the whole time I was blogging, I was known uh, for wearing like this big Afro. I had like big Afro hair and it wasn't all my hair, but it was um, extensions that I had designed myself and not because I'm a hairstylist or I'm a hair expert. It's quite the contrary. I'm very clueless about hair, but you know, so I had played around with a lot of different things. I think Without going into too many details, you know, for a lot of Black women going on the natural hair journey, it is a journey and it is um, 
pre-appropriation uh, of who you are and mm -hmm. through the exploration of that I just wanted my natural hair to be bigger and really like celebrate wearing an afro I was done with the banking world and like straight hair and uh, being frustrated with what was out there like human hair is very expensive the sourcing is very uh, dark I didn't want to be involved with this but synthetic options were very um, low quality the shopping experience is very poor or inexistent, depending on how you look at it. And um, I had just found this supplier on a forum and it was just for me, I had designed what I wanted for me and uh, she was making them for me. And I was blogging and people were like, hey, how did you grow your hair so big? And I would say, it's not on my hair. Where is it from? But I had nowhere to direct them to. <laughs> yeah. And then it was um, very um, out of the blue, but it was like six years ago now, my husband got offered a job um, in Geneva at the time and it was like a great opportunity for him. So we were like, let's go. And I had just, I was getting to this career change and then thought, okay, I need a side hustle if we go there. And oh, that came very quickly. I have people interested in hair. I have this hair supplier, let's make a brand and the initial brand was called Big Hair No Care so that was kind of like a side hustle and then the evolution of it became Rats One and uh, just like a different story started but that's how it started. So Shapeshifter is absolutely appropriate description for your journey to think that you've gone from the very very I would say quite heavy quite beige world of hedge funds to Digital fashion marketing in itself is a leap. And then to be going, right, I'm going to move to another country. I've gone from France. I've gone to the UK. Now I'm going to head over to Geneva. And I'm just going to start a little side hustle. Oh, and in between there, I was a social media influencer and blogger that had built a following. It's an extraordinary journey, one that doesn't, I think, fit any sort of normal pattern of what you would think would happen with your career when you began as in hedge funds. <laughs> So, Definitely. Absolutely. I, I mean, imagine imagine just sort of saying to you day one of your first banking job, um, you're going to run a hair business. <laughs> I would be like, what? <laughs> and given that at the time there was not even Instagram or anything, I think it would be so hard to believe because we've also stepped into a different world in the meantime. So, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> that's crazy. Shapeshifter is absolutely perfect. If you do your own autobiography, that's what I think you should certainly if, and not have a title, if not the chapters um, of that one. But I just want to take um, another step back into your journey. So you're there in Geneva. You've decided, right, I'm going to go ahead with this side hustle. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and create big hair, don't care or no care. And was Geneva the place that you thought I'm going to sell locally here in Geneva? I'm going to try and manufacture here. How, you know, we understand that your business in itself was international from the moment it began. Can you sort of take us through how you sort of manage this international from the moment it, it began? No, of course. So, you know, I, so I wasn't long, uh, I was in Geneva for long, actually, because of how the business um, ended up being. But when I first launched it, at the same time, I had um, some friends of mine who had a beauty like website where they were uh like they had an amazing like curation of product they, they were also like new and it was such an innovative concept beautiful curation of products for like afro hair 
And um, so initially what I did, and then they were based in the UK as well. So I created a social, like an Instagram page and we had like just um, like our website was more of a like, of a window and if you if you wanted to buy you would place the order on their website so that was how we did for the first like for the first few months when I was in Geneva because Geneva was not part of of uh, of the EU at the time the UK was <laughs> but you know that's kind of, like it would have been too complicated and you know I don't even know um so the that's how we started and then we had our by the time we had our own website like and it was from Geneva, it was like what I called a very, very soft launch. And, uh, but we kept like setting out. And at the same time, when I moved to Geneva, I also thought as a side hustle on top of that, I should, you know, try to have a baby. And I didn't anticipate <laughs> I would be very, very sick. So Why I launched, Just... exactly. So we soft launched like maybe like a month uh, before I was pregnant. And then like, I was so sick that, you know, so the idea was just to uh, relaunch once I have like my baby and then like relaunch um, on its own and have like a fulfillment center in the UK, etc. So I, so that first phase was kind of like the soft beta. I don't know. There's so many betas and then um, from the UK, but I moved back to the UK when I did that. I love that you call it a soft launch, but to me, that sounds incredibly hard. The exact opposite of a soft launch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like we're still in beta mode if you ask me. So <laughs> beta, beta beta makes it sound slightly better, but I cannot imagine the the challenges and how you keep that motivation up and how you have to reprioritize everything and balancing, you know, becoming a mom and um yeah. the, the physicalness of pregnancy alongside a business where you're not even in the same country. Like my goodness, talk about yeah. Uh, yeah, I would call that a very hard launch <laughs> to me. It was, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> it's phenomenal. And I know there are many women in the audience right now who are probably relating in exactly the same way of trying to to balance that, you know, the motherhood, the personal stuff, the non-business stuff alongside growing this other baby, which is their business. Mm-hmm. I'm, as we sort of talked about, you know, the fact that you you did grow from this beginning and, and how you sort of managed to scale this. Can you talk just a bit more about this story? So I'm guessing it took off and people, the customers were really responsive and you started to grow more and more and the, the sort of the demand was there for, for what you were creating. How did you then transition, I guess, into the next stage into Rad Swan and, and go on to have, you know, customers all over the world? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really by hitting a wall <laughs> that we progressed. I think, so we were international from the beginning. The thing is, so I started, I already had a following. Uh, so that's, you know, I it was in the other way, but I'm French and I was based in London, but 40% of my following was in the US and then it was the UK. And then France was like quite small, but still like the France is a very engaged market in our, like with our product. So there's like those, so I had this, we had this almost equal split uh, between the three markets from the beginning. So initially we launched a site from like in the UK and we were shipping globally. And uh, I think at the time the US was like still like 20% of, uh, of the activity. And what we did at the same time, uh, so I tried um, pop-ups a lot, like physical, like the with our product, really the innovation that is needed in, is not just the product, but it was very much experience, like buying hair extensions, like when you're a black woman, which is like really part of your, 
it's more like it's closer to hair care than hair accessories this is how i like yeah. to describe it yeah and experience is like so uh demeaning you know back in the day you, you have like your payday and i would go to super drug and the nice ales or you know nice shops and just get the stuff and then you want to go and do your hair shopping and it's just a different experience so we tried pop-up very early on and we tried like we did london first and then we did paris and then we did new york and that was when we did the us that we realized that okay like the demand is even so much bigger that we need to have um we need to fulfill from the us as well so a year and a bit after launching the uk site we also launched like the us site and then like the, U the, the us became um a much bigger part and that's kind of like when we hit the first big wall is the you know when i the supplier that we had it was a side hustle so the, the supplier that we had was the supplier that i was using for myself and when when i started this business it was really not i didn't think it would get very big it was just mm do something while so I don't get bored in Geneva so I hadn't I hadn't really like vetoed that person more to see if they could be ready for scale so then we just hit a wall we couldn't we only had like two products and we couldn't develop like product development is, is very hard in that industry it's still something that you know we like we are battling with and uh, so we just couldn't like grow bigger or do more or, so we hit that wall and that's when I was like, okay, this is bigger than what I think it is. I think it's beyond hair. Okay, we need to rename it. We need to rethink it. And this was already like end of 2018. So I took the decision to pause, uh, to pause the like the activity. And then we uh, came back as Rats One. <laughs> and, and in that moment when you were sort of grappling, I guess, with the supplier and grappling with trying to create a fulfillment center in the US, how were you able to try to to manage that? Were you having to try to build teams? Did you have people in the US who were able to, to manage this on your behalf? Or I often hear from entrepreneurs and particularly when we're speaking to quite a few of them in this series about building a team and having the right people around you is one of the hardest parts of, yeah. of that, that journey. Do you have any, yeah. can you share any sort of, I guess, sort of advice on how you've managed to build your teams? I've tried so many different routes, like I have the playbook, definitely. <laughs> so like the, so we had a moment where we had um, another, at the very beginning, at some point for the US, we had like another entity, like another person who was really helping with the, um, the sort of operational side of things. Um, at the time, that wasn't really the key like that that didn't really work then obviously when I um in 2019 you know I relaunched as a um, rats one and then I raised money from U.S. investors and I moved to New York I moved my family <laughs> to New York and that was like just like month before COVID um oh and, uh, and then you know it was like a different approach it was like okay like let's um hire a team and I was you know I had like the the network of the of my investors and the, the other portfolio comp companies and but I was also like a different world because I was arriving in the US and everything is you know it's on the US level side of things and um so then it was the it was so tricky like team building in itself is anyway that was very hard so initially so I went the route of the team members and then like evolving uh actually think that consultants are also a great avenue to just like work with freelancers or sometimes they're like organization but they are just freelancers because then you're a client and that's very different than um mm. 
the whole dynamic but then you know everything is like based on who you are as a person for me networking is really not easy it's it's I'm very introverted I'm um and I'm not like super connected and always out so I'm, I'm not part of that world where you have access to a lot of people and uh, so trial and error <laughs> takes a different turn <laughs> when the pool is much smaller so I would say to someone who is not a very strong networker or not really um the thing for me with also like with people and managing teams is that I personally get too involved like deeply uh into like the person itself and it's hard to strike the balance for me it's really hard to strike the balance so I would say that consultants it's actually like any what I've come to learn is that any job that exists also exists in the consultant version of it. Like, like there's so many, I mean, like people like build businesses around everything every day. So you know, like you just Google the help you need. It doesn't have to be an employee. There's so many ways to do it. That is a really good tip, and I think it's I think it's probably an alternative one that perhaps people haven't considered or don't consider from the first instance as well often I hear of entrepreneurs going to sort of friends and family and trying to rope them in in the beginning. And, you know, sometimes yeah. that isn't the best path to take, particularly when business does tend to get quite serious. Mm-hmm. You talked about sort of you and your, um, you know, that you are a little bit introverted, that things, you know, things are you have a very different approach to things. How did you ensure that you kept the brand's values and your integrities and sort of who to stay true to who you are as you grew your business and as that scaled? I think this for me is is much easier than any other like than the rest I like my strength as a person is really with um storytelling with creative with like the heart of the brand itself then when it comes to business operations and supply chain and everything like this is where I really really need help so the like my strongest team is always going to be creative because I it's just like finding people who you know we're like-minded we agree on those things and that's a lot easier like whereas for other roles you know like you have to fit with people who are not like you because otherwise you know yeah (laughs) exactly so for me from the beginning it was really the um, and then like I also believe that with the the community that we're serving you know um hair extensions is so big for black women mm. such a big market but there's hardly any western-based player let alone black-owned players because it's such a really? market where you know people know that black women are going to buy like it's always going to sell you know because it's such a big market so the the execution the the innovation all of those things are always an afterthought so for me it's, it's really important that we establish standards and that, that we stick to them so the way that we treat our like customer service um the like the tone of voice or the like the whole experience is something that is documented in so many uh how do you say like rule books or like we've really 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 like focused hard on this is our our brand this is our this is how we speak this is who we serve this is why we serve this person and I would say that that has probably slowed us down a lot um into what we do uh, especially like going through COVID and the the 
typical challenges um, that happened in our industry with supply chain. You know, like we've had to really say no to some products that, you know, the sample was approved, but in the batch, uh, production wasn't as good and you know we know that we have higher standards so like that has cost us a lot to maintain that but I would say that's uh, for me like that's also our north star you know yeah. I know that this is a big market this is a big industry we can like we will um, take our cuts there's no there's no rush really if you think about it so this is something that you can focus on I think the fact you've gone so deep into that customer experience level is something that is so powerful in an online marketplace as well, because often, um, you know, when you go into a store, you're able to talk to somebody and get their advice, but on an online platform, often that isn't there. So I know if, if, you, if you're in the audience and you um, I, I strongly suggest bringing up Rad Swan now and taking a look at the website and you'll see even things on the instructions and how to how to put the hair, you know, the, the, wig, the wigs on and some of the clip-on ones. And like, even for me as somebody who's never, who's never bought the products before, I really understood how to do it. So it really is that sort of thoughtfulness that really comes through quite strongly um, in the Rad Swan experience. So um, completely can see why and how you've put so much thought into it because the outcome is, is so visible, that value is, is clearly there. What was the best marketing practice that helped to increase your sales? Was there any one magic thing that you did? For us, really, it was the physical activations. Like we haven't with Ratswan actually uh, done that because you know because of like uh, COVID, we really focused the experience on content. But the, when it came to yeah pop-ups before were amazing for us. First, like meeting the audience like I personally really love that there's um and that's also like when I realized like this is also when you discover when you see what bonds you with your community and audience beyond the product that you're selling like that for me I think is really um rich like it's very important um we've gone honestly we've mostly done organic marketing and it's like using social media but with our product, it's very visual. It's easy. It's a bit, it's even more visual than makeup. You know, I will have no lipstick. I will put the lipstick. You can see if you like it, you want it, you know. But like, unlike the lipsticks where there's like so many other brands, this is different. Like this is me before, this is me after with this hairstyle. And if you're, so that's also different. So through like really putting money into content and um, social media. So nurturing your, your, like your supporters, um, that has been what what the best for us and for our product and with our audience and community in particular. And it is, uh, you know, fashion and that's the social media element. It's constantly in your face and it's constantly making you as, you know, you think about your relationship to when you're online and when you're scrolling through and like what catches your eye and those things that stick with you and then force you to go ahead and buy that item. I think it's, you know, it's really easy to relate to. So I think there's some really good lessons to sort of pick up on also to what you've said about what sells you, what what engages you and how does that yeah. work for your audience? Yeah, and and then any opportunity that you have to meet them in real life or to have conversation with these people, uh, I think, you know, the insights that you get really uh, like can inspire you mm. to um, find other marketing techniques that would work specifically for your product and your brand. I think people crave in person now after COVID, after so long yes. of doing everything 
via online like we are mm-hmm. now I'd love it something that you and I talked about when we were sort of getting to know each other for this session was we often get given a very polished version of the entrepreneur journey we get a very slick I had an idea the next day I got an investor of suite of investors and then the next day I was at half a unicorn status and I think um, there's also a lot of pressure on, on entrepreneurs to sort of live up to this this myth that that often is out there. Your view is is very honest, very real when you open up and share about that. Do you sort of you know is there anything in particular about your journey that you'd love to convey? You know, you've done it all as a as a working mom as well, which adds an extra layer of pressure. Um, but I just I don't know if there's something from your perspective on that sort of unglamorized, unpolished version of the entrepreneur's journey. Yes, that I remember when we talked about this, because that's something that is so, that means a lot to me because I'm still, um, it's been like a very, uh, a strong theme in my life, like these last two years. The the performance of, of the founder now, like the whole, Social media has been doing that, right? Like the when the influencer thing started, you know, like quickly, yeah. like we turn thing into performance. Like it's a performance. It's a it's a kind of like I don't know. Like you always have like the you know like the role like written on the paper, and you have to embody it. And I've been really uncomfortable with it. I feel like, and you know, I haven't really been present on social media funny enough ever since like we've uh, like <laughs> we've raised money and then like launched I think because then I, I so first you know I already had a personal brand like was already like popular like online and I was already uncomfortable from the beginning and I've been vocal about it um about how people can look at you on social media and then just think oh my god I want I wish I was more like you I want to do you know I want to do this, want to do that. And this is why, you know, even before I started Big Hand Care, I had just launched those workshops that were like about, you know, like finding confidence because I'm so not that, but that's what I love to work on. And um, so the, I was then like, I become someone who had raised $2 million and, you know, oh, the like fashion influencer turn founder. And uh, especially, you know, also like as a black woman, like at the time there was not even like 50 women who had done, who had raised them. Yeah. Um, women in the world and it was so much and all of a sudden I know that a lot of people are using me to beat themselves up but then like the journey that it started <laughs> it has been so intense that I'm not someone who can um, go through things and then talk about them as that happened but I was also determined to not and also I can't do it to not just like be online and portray I know a life that a lot of people like look up to, you know, this is me, like being a busy CEO in New York. This is me. This is like, I'm also like being slapped in every position, <laughs> you know, like, like I'm also going through a life crisis as, as a result. And, you know, I need to be able to just like talk about those things and have the space to do that. If I can't have the full, if I can't be fully honest, like I'd rather like just like step back, you know, and then like I would come back and be able to, um, to say more. So 
the social media can be very toxic for that and at the same time you know i know that that has helped me to raise money as well to have this profile there but i always say like this is not an influencer brand this is not a brand that is attached to me you know like big hand again was called big hand again by freddie harold that one is not you know like i'm not the brand ambassador or the face of the brand per se and um and i refuse to to yeah like to perform what this founder thing is because a lot of what these two years or so have been, it has been um, taking myself out of the, the knots, you know, all of those knots of like, those boxes of what you think that you should feel. I am a female founder. And you know, like I've done a business school, I've done those things. So I feel like for a while I thought my life had to be, you know, I have to be on Excel all day. This is what a female founder, like a female CEO is when actually I'm a creative. Oh, like you can really sabotage yourself by trying to to portray or perform your role. That's why I say like keep an open mind. It's a personal journey rather than a job because you haven't applied to this job. It's not like I've applied to, you know, like there was yeah. like a job description list that you've applied to. I, I really, I think it's remarkable and I think it's something that certainly we don't hear enough of in this space and and I say that as somebody who who reads this news you know who really tries to get absorbed into the entrepreneurial community because I find it fascinating I find it inspiring I find it motivating um as you know as somebody in that quasi in that space very much in the edge I want to be clear um but I think the the unvarnished version is so real and if you're constantly putting yourself up against this polished version then you're quickly going to be become your own critic you're quickly going to become somebody who boxes yourself in to your point about those boxes you know you start to create those walls and I think it's really powerful to hear you say don't do it don't yeah. you know be be you don't don't be that that picture um is is extraordinary so thank you so much for, for opening up on that. So um, a huge heartfelt thank you from me to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here today, genuinely. Wonderful. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, HSBC's podcast mini-series dedicated to supporting women on the path of growing and scaling their own businesses. To access more resources for female entrepreneurs, please refer to the description of this podcast. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Talks Business. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please do subscribe to the HSBC Talks Business channel to stay up to date with new episodes.